All right, we are in Romans 8, 26 through 27. Now, Romans 8, it's the Holy Spirit chapter of Scripture. It's where we find uh, the, the most exhaustive writing on the Holy Spirit and how it informs and how it is part of our lives as believers. And, and, in, and in fact, as, if we do a quick overview, we can see all so far that because we have faith in Christ of what the Holy Spirit does for us. In verse 2, where it's written, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is exactly what the Spirit has done. It has set us free from the law of sin and death and brought us into life because of Christ Jesus. In verse 4, we read, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, the Spirit helps us fulfill the just requirement of the law. And then in verse 6, as we continue on, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When we come to faith in Christ and, and the Holy Spirit pierces our hearts and God puts his spirit to dwell in us living permanently, we are given life and peace in that moment. And as he continues writing in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the promise here that God will raise you from the dead by the very Spirit who dwells in you. Paul goes into detail more about that in Ephesians, in the beginning of Ephesians, when he says that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of God's fulfilling promises that we will be raised on that day. In verse 13, he writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Spirit here gives us the power and gives us the courage and the strength to put to death the deeds of the body, the sins of our flesh, our fleshly desires. And the language here, it's not just put it aside and put it away or stuff it in a drawer to not be seen again. Rather, this is attacking language here that the Spirit gives you the power and the Spirit itself helps you put to death the deeds of the body. And it's a daily thing that we struggle with and a daily thing we go to attack. It's not that we can just turn a blind eye to it. It's that we must attack it and the Spirit gives us that ability to defeat it. And in verse 14, I mean, 13, 14, 15, 16, it's all packed right here. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. The sons and daughters of God will be led by the Spirit. These are, remember, these are the things the Spirit does for us. We have faith in Christ. We've been given the Spirit, and here are the things the Spirit is doing. And then in 15 and 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God by having the very spirit dwelling in 
us, it gives us an assurance. An assurance. That means we can take this to the bank. We can hold God to this because God is faithful to his promises. We have an assurance of our salvation. And then in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. The Holy Spirit itself is the foretaste and the guarantee of our final redemption. And then we have today's scripture, if you'll read with me here. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul as he continues to write about the Spirit-filled life, life in the Spirit, he tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we should. And so Paul wants to address prayer in our life and how it is different when we have the Holy Spirit. But anytime we come to scripture about prayer, we, we, we should start by examining our own prayer life, right? How is your prayer life? It's probably a question you fear being asked the most. Or maybe it's just me. Because the truth is, we struggle with prayer. We all struggle with prayer sometimes, right? You go to sit down and to pray, and then what happens? You get a phone call. Ding! You get a text message. Get an email. Or because those smartphones have become such an extension of our lives, the sheer stillness and quietness, we tend to pick up our phone and begin checking and saying, well, what are other people doing and saying right now? It's not just me, right? Or maybe, you know, before cell phone, I, I would see my mom occasionally when we were in church and it was time for corporate prayer that she would begin writing down a grocery list. That's never happened to any of you, right? That's not here, not here, right? But no, it, it, it does. When, when we sit down to pray and, and then all of a sudden our mind begins to wander onto other things. Right? And, it's a, and it's a wandering unlike any other wandering that occurs in our life. right? Because our, our mind and our heart begins taking us in all sorts of places because this is a moment when we have been the most still and quiet and all of a sudden everything that's been wanting to race around and have attention suddenly has time for it. This happens to all of us. And then sometimes, 
We go to God in prayer with something that's really been weighing us down. It's heavy on our hearts. Maybe even brings us anxiety and some worry. So we take it to the Lord. The scripture calls us to. We take it to the Lord in prayer. And then after a few moments, maybe a couple minutes, we begin to realize we've stopped praying and have continued our worrying. And maybe even beyond that, we've began trying to solve the problem ourselves. We've moved away from talking with God and listening for him into full on, how do I correct this myself? All right, if this happens, I can either do A, B, possibly C, although that's a bit risky, right? And we start going through the problem-solving method in our own minds. And, and really, we were weighed down and going to the Lord in prayer. And, and then we end up going, well, how did I get here? I'm far more stressed about it now than when I started. It's because we didn't give it to the Lord. We tried to hold on to it. Or, here's a big one, public prayer. Not everyone's a fan. In fact, some people act as if they're allergic to it. And it's okay. It's, it's understandable. It's a, it's a condition uh, we have, right? We're, we're afraid of what others might see or judge of us in our own prayer life. Maybe we're next to someone who we consider has a very strong faith, and we've heard him pray before, and we're like, I've never used words like that in my prayer. How, what? Me? It's happened at my own dinner table with my kids. As we've uh, grown up with them and and as they get bigger, uh, we taught them a family prayer that we have. And it has some these and some thous and some thys in it. It's it's from Ashley's grandparents that they sat around the table for uh, decades now. And we've given it on to our kids. And, and then we slowly passed on the responsibility. Instead of Ashley or I leading the prayer, we began calling on the kids. Well, that doesn't work out. They're like, no, mm-mm. Not going to do it. Right? And it's the same, same for us sometimes in a public setting, in a Sunday school class or a church meeting or we're with other believers and we get called on to pray or even if we're like, we've never prayed with our spouse and we're like, oh, how do I pray with my spouse? Our heart begins to beat fast. It goes up into our throat. Palms get sweaty. We're like, what's happening here? And then it feels like your tongue. It gets real heavy and big fills your whole mouth and you can't talk right it's almost it really is almost like an allergic reaction to to praying in public our minds can go blank but you know what here's a pro tip for you a secret jesus taught us how to pray when the disciples asked him right so if you ever get asked to pray in public and and you begin feeling like you're having that allergic reaction, the Lord's prayer is an acceptable prayer in all public settings at all times. So let that anxiety go. You've got this one in the bag. But it's true. Our prayer life is, we're our biggest critic of it. We think it's less than. And then sometimes we go and we pray, and by the end... Well, we tried our best. We just don't think it was that much of a prayer. But it was all we had. For the scripture says, we do not know what to pray as we ought. Paul uses some encouraging words there. 
like we. Right? We often think Paul of this great apostle who has everything figured out and never makes mistakes, but here he is including himself in this. That sometimes he doesn't pray as he should. He, he doesn't pray as he ought. He doesn't have the words to pray sometimes. And so he reminds us that the Holy Spirit prays for us on our behalf. The Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints when we don't know what to say. It says that it groans without words. So not only does Paul give us encouragement, all of Scripture gives us encouragement. It's a calling to prayer, really, and throughout it is the example. The more we're in the Word, the more we will have those words to talk and relate to God. Because this, if we're honest, this relationship between us and God is really brand new. We're still trying to figure it out daily. It's why we call it a faith walk, a faith journey, isn't it? That, that uh, we don't ever have our relationship with God completely 100% perfect. If you do, raise your hand. Who's there? Anybody? Anybody? You can come preach. We're good? Because I'm not qualified to do this. We, we don't have our relationship fully figured out. It's still so new, and, 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 and we're trying to learn how to have this relationship with our Father that we've been reconciled to, right? Reconciliation's hard. When we talk about reconcili reconciling with people here on earth, with other humans in those relationships and trying to reconcile those, that is a hard thing to do because relationships are messy. Now we're in the midst of reconciling a relationship that's been reconciled because of what Jesus accomplished, but we know we messed the whole thing up, right? We messed it all up. While we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us, proving God's love. It's that while we were in rebellion, active rebellion against God, he loved us and sent his son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him. And in the, uh, the book of Hebrews, we're told that he's the great high priest and that because of him, we can now stand before God. We're reconciled. We're in right standing with him and stand with confidence because we stand in grace. So, so when we go to God in our prayers and sometimes our wanderings all around, we can go without fear of condemnation and judgment. That's exactly how Paul led off this chapter, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we can approach God and his throne of grace and mercy without fear of judgment. And so the scripture gives us this encouragement. We can go and we can see Jesus, Jesus prayed often. We've studied that this year throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus continually went to the Father in prayer. He even taught us how when we don't have the words. And so while, yes, prayer is hard, it can feel awkward, and while here it says, for we don't have the words or we don't pray as we ought, it does not give us the excuse to say, well, then I'm not going to pray at all. I'm going to neglect it because it's hard, it's awkward, I don't know how. But rather, it's part of that developing relationship. Each day, we're drawing closer to the Father. 
And one day, this is the promise, one day we will be with him forever. Right? Not for a short time, forever. This is a, a relationship with our Father who's in heaven forever. So the Spirit helps us out, right? That's what the Scripture says. It helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. And then the Spirit intercedes for us as well. He's praying for us. The Spirit who dwells living permanently in you is praying for you according to God's will. Right? This is huge. That's a spirit living in us, knows our heart. And, and he's talking to the one who's already searched our heart. Right? That's what the scripture says. He who has searched our heart knows the mind of the spirit. God and his spirit understand each other better than we can understand God. And now we have both of them who know our heart are talking to each other about us. And the Holy Spirit is talking to him on our behalf. What great news. What a great benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A benefit of the Spirit dwelling in us is that God and the Spirit know us completely and the Spirit is constantly in the ear of God groaning. Groaning for what we need. And you know, we're not just left there. When we remember Hebrews, we remember that we have Jesus, who's a great high priest, and it says, who intercedes for us, right? And then we've heard John 17. This is Jesus' prayer, where we can actually hear the words of Jesus praying for us. And so we understand God and, and, and the triune God, the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we have God the Spirit and God the Son praying on our behalf. This is amazing that in our weakness, right? Just as it was in our weakness of sin and rebellion that God sent his Son to live and die for us. It is in our weakness of continuing to live that God gives us his spirit to pray for us, to uphold us in our weakness, in our suffering, in our futility, in our rebellion, in our battles, in our struggles. There the Holy Spirit is praying for you. You know, Paul, right before this, he writes that our future glory far outweighs our present sufferings. Right? Is he worthy? Heck yeah. That's, you know, that's Texas for you. Heck yeah. Is he worthy? Heck yeah. 
And right, and, and so he points us, he says, how much uh, lighter is the weight that we carry? How much lighter are our feet when we turn our eyes upon Jesus to persevere through our sufferings? And so it is likewise in our weakness that in our suffering, the Holy Spirit groans in God's ear for you. Oh, what encouragement. You know, I, I believe... That if we could see and hear any time we wanted, if, if we could see and hear any time we needed how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for us, we would stand taller. We would walk lighter. We would have a joy that never fades. We, we would be able to walk in anywhere at any time knowing we stand in the grace of God, knowing that we're at peace with God and what comfort we have. But even though we can't see it and even though we can't hear it, it's still happening. It's still there. It's still there. And so it is in our lives. We go to God in prayer and our mind wanders. The Holy Spirit picks up your prayer and goes to God asking for what you need according to his will. So it is when we feel inadequate in talking to God, especially in front of others. You'd be surprised. Begin praying. The Holy Spirit will fill your mouth with the words. Folks, begin asking yourself how your prayer life is. But don't get down on yourself. Be encouraged. Continue striving and persevering. For in your weakness, the Holy Spirit is there for you. Amen.